we get into that, I want to just remind ourselves of some of the determinations that we made last week. You remember? We, we made three of them. I like it. Amen. We made three determinations last week as we're beginning this new year. The first one we made was that because we are Laodiceans, and of course, for you folks who are guests with us today, and this is, this is very vital throughout, throughout the rest of the message. If you'll grab this here, I won't have to explain it later on. But in Revelation 2 and 3, there are seven letters to seven churches put into the context of the book of Revelation. Those seven letters represent the seven periods of church history that pick up where the book of Acts leaves off, the book of history in the New Testament. And it brings you all the way through church history, all the way to the rapture of the church. We are presently living in the seventh and final of those periods of church history, the Laodicean church period, if you will. It's the letter written to the Laodiceans, and to be quite honest with you, as you begin to see what God has written to the church in this period of time in which you and I live, there's no other way to say it, folks, but that we are a sorry, sorry lot. Amen. Okay, you, you already remember the next point of the determinations that we made. But, but, the, but at best, the Bible says that we're neither hot nor cold. We are we're lukewarm. We, and, and because we're lukewarm, Jesus says, it, it, it turns my stomach. It makes me want to spew you out of my mouth. You think you got it all together, and you don't. And, and this is what he says to the church in the Laodicean church period. Check this out. He says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. And we feel like the Lord loves us. So when we come to church, we've made a determination. We're coming to be rebuked not pep rallied. We're coming to be chastened, not coddled. Amen? So as we begin this morning, let's just remember the determination. We're not waiting for the pastor to make us feel all good about how sorry we are. The whole purpose of this, as many as he loves, he rebukes and chastens, and so very gladly we came this morning to be rebuked and chastened. Y'all are, y'all are sweet. I, I love you, man. That's, that's good. But we, we made another determination, and that is that because we are a part of the body of Christ and because this isn't just a machine but a, a body, we came this morning not to be a spectator but to be a participant. Preaching is, a, is not a spectator sport. It, it, there, it, somebody's got to be given something. Somebody's got to be receiving something. And if you want to get any more, you better throw something back, Okay. <laughs> So we're going to work together this morning like we saw in the book of Nehemiah. Ezra got up there. I won't do it. I won't do it. But it says that he stood on a pulpit of wood. And so we took that quite literally last week. You can get the video if you'd like to see that. There are no videos. I'm just kidding. But what it says, man, is that Ezra stood and brought that book out. The people said, Bring it on, brother. Bring it on. Give us the word of God. And as he began to bust it out, all the people said, Amen. They, they said it twice. Amen. There you go. Amen. Amen. And so because we're a body, we said, we're going to make a determination. We ain't coming in here to just sit and wait for it to get good. This is as good as it gets, y'all. So we're going to work together on this thing. And then we, we had made a third determination. And that is because we see the day approaching, as it says in Hebrews 10.25. We've come here this morning not so that others can love and encourage us. We've come to love and encourage others. Now, I hope to my soul that you feel loved this morning, and I hope to my soul you get encouraged. But I'll just tell you, if you came looking for everybody to do that to you, you're probably going to leave ticked off. But if you'll come this morning in your heart saying, I'm going to love the people around me. I'm going to look into the eyes of people around me and see who needs to be provoked to love and to good works. Who needs to be encouraged. And I'm going to make myself a committee of one to encourage those people and to spur them on to, to love and good works. So that's why we're all here. Okay? So now that we've been reminded, let's just still our hearts one more time. And now why don't you pray? that God will help you to do those three things. To be ready today to be rebuked and chastened, to be ready to be a participant, and to be ready to, to love other people and encourage them. All right, let's pray.
And now, Lord, we ask that you would do just that. Help us to realize what this time is really all about. Teach us, challenge us, rebuke us, chasten us, so that we might be conformed into the image of your Son. And that is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, let's, let's get to work now, okay? We've, uh, we've been on this major parenthesis for some time now. We've been in the book of uh, Revelation now for a godly period of time. Uh, but we, we got hung up when we got to chapter 14. Because what, what's been happening all through the book of Revelation is, is you're seeing all of this incredible stuff that God breaks out. And so we've been trying to go to the Word of God, be true to the Word of God, find out what it is that He's actually saying, what it is that He's actually meaning by all of these things. A, a lot of it is, you know, there's practical stuff, and we've seen that all along the way. But when we came to Revelation 14, what a practical section. And we've been working it for all that it's worth, to be quite honest with you. I mean, this goes way back into May when we came to Revelation chapter 14, and it's almost May again. But since it's been so long, what we need to do is we need to just kind of get our bearings a little bit. This is going to go quickly. But uh, some of you folks that are here have been saved since May, praise the Lord. Some of you have moved into this area since May, and most of you that are here are like me and have a tendency to forget a lot of stuff. So let's just make sure that we've got the big picture of what the book of Revelation is all about. First of all, what we find as we begin to open this book is that John is instructed to write in three tenses. What he's told in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 19 is he's to write the things which thou hast seen that would be past. He's told to write the things which are, and that of course would be the present, and then the things which shall be hereafter, and that is the future. So he's going to write in three tenses, but if you're going to understand those three tenses, there's two keys that you've got to make sure that you understand. The first key is this. You've got to understand where John was as far as the time period is concerned when he received the, 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 the revelation. Back in chapter 1 and verse 10, what he says is that he was in the Spirit on what? On the Lord's Day. And what you find is that when John received this revelation, the Spirit of God picked him up, catapulted him to the day of the Lord. That is that period of time which would be the tribulation. And the tribulation, of course, culminates with the second coming of Christ. And so what you find is that John, when he receives the revelation, the present tense for him is the day of of the Lord. The present tense is that tribulation and the second coming. Now, if you miss that, you, you'll get yourself all messed up in the book of Revelation. That's a very key point. The second key point that you got to see is that there are two things, two key events that divide the book of Revelation into these three tenses. The Bible says that we are to study, to show ourselves, to prove unto God, workmen that need not to be ashamed, rightly, what? Well, dividing the word of truth but it's not left to us to just figure out where we want to divide the word of truth what you find is that through diligent study of the word of truth God shows you how he divides his book and he does that very neatly in the book of Revelation because there is a, a, an event that takes place two times and that event is that heaven what heaven opens good job okay it opens the first time in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1 and when it does somebody goes up, and that, of course, is the event that we call the rapture. And then heaven opens again in Revelation chapter 19 and verse 11. And when it does, somebody comes down, and that event is the man, you guys are good. Now, what you see on your, your sheet there is I listed out the 22 chapters of the book of Revelation so that you can see how this is very neatly divided. Okay, that. Uh, that little arrow that's going up there at the beginning of chapter 4, at the very top of that arrow, put rapture. And then come over in the second coming. And what you begin to see is that what God does is he shows you that chapters 1, 2, and 3 in this book are that which is past. That would be the church age. So on that line above church age, put the word past. As we talked about just a second ago, the present tense to him, because he was catapulted to the day of the Lord, which is the tribulation and the second coming, that is the present tense, which is found in chapters 4, four through 19. And then, of course, the, the future to John standing as one 
at the day of the Lord, the future would be the millennium, which is in chapter 20, the new heaven and new earth, which is in chapter 21, and then on into eternity, which is chapter 2. So what we find in the book of Revelation is that in the first three chapters, it encompasses a period of time that is approximately 2,000 years long. That little C there means approximately, just since it's been a long time since you were in English class. Okay, so the first three chapters encompass 2,000 years. Okay, when you come over to the end, to the future, because this is the millennium, it encompasses a period of 1,000 years. But now check this out. You got 2,000 on the front side of this in the first three chapters. The last three chapters, 1,000 years. But the majority of the book of Revelation details a seven-year period. Put that up at the top of your sheet and then move yourself down to the next point. The majority of the book of Revelation details the seven-year period we commonly refer to as the, the tribulation period. Now, I want you to just think with me for just a second. Now, why in the world would God spend three little chapters to cover 2,000 years? Why would he spend three chapters to cover 1,000 years? And then he'd take the, the bulk of the rest of the book, 15 chapters, to cover a seven-year period. Now, obviously, whatever answer I give is not something that's detailed in the book of Revelation. It's certainly speculation, but you know what I believe? This, this period of time, that seven-year period in which those chapters cover, that is such an incredible period of time. Jesus said this, there's never been a time like it before it, and there'll never be a time like it after it. What it is, is it is the period of time, listen very carefully, it is the period of time when man finally reaps the harvest of his sin. Sin entered into this world approximately 6,000 years ago, and every single one of us have followed suit. The Bible says that evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, and things ain't getting better, as a lot of folks would like to tell you they are. They're getting worse and worse, and the Bible tells us that and told us that 2,000 years ago. It ain't going to get better, y'all. It's only going to get worse. And we, of course believe the Word of God as opposed to man. So this is this period of time where man is finally going to reap the harvest of his sin, and not only that, by the time this thing is all over, it's also the period of time when God is finally going to unleash his judgment upon this world and the sinfulness of this world. So you got two incredible things happening. God finally says, okay, you guys have been sowing seeds for 6,000 years, and now... 6,000 years of sowing the seeds of sinfulness. Now you're going to get what you asked for. And not only are you going to get what you asked for, I'm going to pour out my wrath during this period of time. And I'm just telling you, I think the reason that the book of Revelation covers that period of time is because God's trying to let you know how intense it's going to be so that he might just wake you up so that you don't spend your seven years going through that thing and finally come to the end of it when it says in second thessalonians chapter one he's coming in flaming fire taking vengeance on all them that know not god and obey not the gospel of god i believe what god's trying to do is is get your attention so that you don't go through that incredible period of time and wind up one day at the end of that seven year period of time and, and folks what, what it says there in second or yeah second thessalonians chapter one is that you will be given to destruction at that point. And so I, I believe that's, that, that's what's going on. But in, in those chapters, from chapter 4 to, to nine, 19, he's covering the tribulation period. Now chapters 4 and 5, he's telling us what takes place in heaven after the rapture. And if you go to chapter 4 and 5, you just see John, who is a picture of the church, is just telling us all the things that are going to be taking place while chapters 6 through 19 tell us what takes place on the earth after the rapture and in chapters 6 through 19 our Lord brings John through four different accounts of the tribulation from four different perspectives the first account as we have seen from chapter 6 and verse 1 to chapter 8 and verse 1 is the opening of the seven what 
seals. The second account that we've seen, picking up in Revelation chapter 8 and verse 2 all the way through chapter 11, is the sounding of seven trumpets. The third account, this is the one where we are right now, is the revealing of seven personages or seven personalities, if you will. That's in chapter 12 to 14. And then the fourth account in chapters 15 through 19 is through the pouring of the seven vials. Good job. Okay, so the, the big, that's the big picture of the book of Revelation. Now, where we are right now, okay, as I mentioned just a second ago, we're coming through the tribulation period for the third time right now through the revealing of these seven personages. And the seven personages are these. We saw, first of all, the woman. And the woman in Revelation chapter 12 is none other than the, who? Nation of Israel. And then it, the second personage is the child, and the child in Revelation 12 is, is who? The Lord Jesus Christ. I threw you with those three lines there. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Then next, the dragon. And that, of course, everybody say it. Satan. And then the archangel, which is Michael. And then when we came to chapter 13, the first nine verses, we saw the first beast which is the, say it, the Antichrist, okay? And then the second beast in verses 10 through 18 of chapter 13, who knows? The false prophet, and then the seventh personage or personality, if you will, the 144,000. And these are the true, anybody can fill it in? There you go. The true, <laughs> the true Jehovah's Witnesses. There's a false group running around today that you better watch out for. But these are the true Jehovah's Witnesses that will pick up their ministry <clears throat> during the tribulation period. All right. Now, what we've been doing, because we're Laodiceans, because we're that last period of church history, and because all of the things that the Lord says to us is that we need some major teaching, we need some major lessons, we need some major application, what we've been trying to do is we've been going to Revelation 14, and why don't you make your way over there now, and what we've been trying to do is get some Laodicean lessons from the Lamb's 144,000. And where we started with this thing is I tried to show you that this special group of people and this special group of people, the 144,000, are 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. And of course, 12,000 times 12 is 144,000. That's where they get their name. But this group of people, as soon as we are removed from this planet at the rapture and the tribulation period begins, God has never left himself without a witness. Now, we're the witness in these last days, a sorry one that we are, but when we're removed out of here, the 144,000 come on this planet and they will be the ones that God is going to use to carry out his work, to carry out the mission once we've been removed. The thing that is just so incredible about this 144,000 is for seven solid years, they do the job impeccably. I mean, there is never a day, there's never a moment, there's never a second when this crowd isn't doing what they're supposed to be doing. If there's ever a group of people that we could look at and say, we, we want to learn, we want to pattern ourselves after a group of people, folks, listen, it is the 144,000. And what we saw as we began to move into this thing is that there is visible, this is number one, there is visible evidence of their identification with the Lamb and His Father. There's visible identification. We're going to try to learn something from that visible identification that they have with the Lamb, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, and His Father. And this visible evidence is seen, first of all, through the seal. This is letter A, the seal of the 144,000 servants of our God. Now, we met the 144,000 when we were back in chapter 7. And what, what's going on in chapter 7 is the wind of God's judgment is about to begin to blow on this earth during the tribulation period. And what God does is he takes one of his angels that holds the seal of the living God in his hands and he says, now listen, before the four angels that are on the corners of the earth, before they begin to blow on this world with the judgment, the judgment of God, first of all, something has to happen. This 144,000, I want you to take that seal of the living God and I want you to go and I want you to seal the forehead 
of those 144,000. You know what God's doing? God's marking His possession so that during the tribulation period, all you got to do is you look at that 144,000 and just by looking at them, it's very visibly evident whose they are, which is in great contrast because in chapter 13, we also saw a group of people on this planet, some which are probably in this room, who are going to enter into the tribulation period and they are going to also take a mark on their forehead. It is the mark of the the mark of the beast, the infamous 666, if you will. And here in contrast, we move into chapter 14, and here's a group of people. We saw them back in chapter 7. They are sealed by the seal of the living God. And what we find here in Revelation chapter 14 and verse 1, and look at the end of the verse, is the seal, the, the way that they are marked is they are marked with the Father's name. The Father's name is... Jehovah, and you see, this is where the Jehovah's false witnesses get their deal. They're trying to read themselves into the Bible to become this special group of people, but they are not of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. It's a wrong period of time in the first place. But other than that, they're just fine. But he, what, what he says here is that these, this group of people, they're, it's, just, it's apparent to God, and it's apparent to anybody who looks at them during the tribulation period whose they are because they're marked. They're marked with the name of God in their forehead. But what we tried to begin to learn from that is that, you know what? Really, practically, they're no different than we are because the Bible says that we too have been sealed with God's name on us. But it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verses, or is it 3? 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, what it says is that he didn't write it with ink on our foreheads. What God did is he wrote something on us to mark us as his possession in the church age. He marks us with a seal. He writes on the flesh of our hearts. And what it says in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13 is that we who have responded to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in this period of time, in the church age, we have been sealed with the Spirit of the living God. Amazing thing, isn't it? And we come over to 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 19, and what he says is this. Now listen, the foundation of God standeth sure. The Lord knows them that are his. You see, there's no question in his mind. Now, I, I got to tell you, I, I look around and based on the things that the scripture says about those who know the Lord Jesus Christ, I look around and say, Phew, I can't tell who's what. The Lord knows them that are his. You know why? Because they, they've got a seal. And you know what this seal is? You know how God looks and knows? Well, that's mine right there. Because all of those that are his, that have been written, not with ink, but in the fleshy tables of the heart, who've been sealed by the Spirit of God, the, the seal is this. They all depart from iniquity. And it is a real strange thing, i got to tell you, y'all, in the Laodicean church period, people who live like hell and the devil and like that book doesn't even exist. And yet, they, you could not talk them out of their salvation. Even though the Bible says in Matthew 7, 21, that many are going to say in that day, Lord, Lord, what's up? I mean, hey, didn't we do everything we're supposed to do? I mean, didn't we do all these things? And, 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 and what, what the Lord says is that there's going to be a lot of people who call on his name, but it was never evidenced by the fact that they did his will in their life. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 4 says this, Hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. And listen, uh, now, listen, I love you. I, I, I want to be used of God to rebuke and chasten some of you because, listen, you don't, you don't match what God says is characteristic of somebody who has been sealed. You haven't departed from iniquity. Hereby we do know that we know him. If we keep his commandments and some people claim to be born again, oh, we're eternally secure because we are Baptist, you know. And yet, 
There's no evidence of it in their life, and that's why God comes along in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5, and he says this, Let a man examine himself, whether he be in the faith. Now, y'all, if it was just as easy as going back, well, I prayed the prayer when I was five years old, then all he would have said is, make sure that you prayed the prayer somewhere along the way. What he said is, examine yourself whether you be in the faith. And the book of 1 John comes along, chapter 5 and verse 13, and it says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. The th these things that he's written was chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. What the book of 1 John is doing in your Bible is because that is the examination you give yourself to determine from 2 Corinthians 13, 5, whether or not you are in the faith. And what the Bible says is that if you're really in the faith, if you've really been sealed, certain things are going to take place in your life. Number one, you're going to love God. You're going to love the brethren, and you're going to want to obey God. And the flow of your life will be obedience. And when there's not obedience, there will be conviction of the Spirit of God. You'll have a Romans 7 experience in your life where you're saying, Oh, wretched man that I am. You'll call upon the name of God for forgiveness. And you'll say, That's not consistent with who you've made me. There will be that kind of reaction when we do fail, when we do sin. And if we are not responding to the conviction of the Spirit of God, what it says in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, is that every son he scourges, he chastens everyone that knows him. And if you can continue in your life, and you can keep sinning, resisting the Spirit of God as he begins to convict you of that sin, and you just keep on doing it, and there's no chastening in your life. Now, the Bible word for it is you are a bastard and not a son. You've never been sealed. And so listen, we better learn some stuff. We better learn from sub, some stuff from the 144,000. They're sealed with a seal that marks them. God says, you know what, it's no different in the church age. You're marked with a seal. It's written all over your life. It's apparent to everybody if you really are a child of God by the life that you live. But not only that, let us see. We looked at the submission of the 144,000 servants of our God, as they're called in Revelation chapter 7, the submission. Look at the middle of verse 4 if you're in chapter 14. Listen to what it says. These are they which follow the Lamb. But that's not all. These are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. And again, all through the tribulation period, y'all, listen, all through the tribulation period, the 144,000 are always where the Lamb wants them to be. They follow His lead, and it doesn't matter where it is, that wherever the Lamb is, all through the tribulation period, where He leads me, I will follow, the 144,000 say, and they're right there. And you know what? The reward of that to them in eternity is they come into the Mount Zion, as it says in Revelation 14.1. They get to heaven, and you know what's happening? Because they followed the Lamb in this life, whithersoever he goeth, when they get to Zion, if you wanted to find the Lamb, just look for a big group of about 144,000 because the Lamb is going to be right there close to them. They, they will not let him out of their sight because that, they didn't do that when they were here. And we began to look at it and say, you know what? Same thing is consistent in our lives if you really are a child of God, it will be visibly evident by your submission as a servant of God in this age. Jesus said in John chapter 10 and verse 27, listen to it. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Now listen, if you really are a child of God, if you really are a sealed, true child of God, it's going to be marked all over your life. It's going to be visibly evident to the entire world because you follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And we talked about for weeks, weeks, months, and months about the difficulty in this Laodicean age because Jesus says there's two prerequisites in Mark chapter 8 and verse 34. He says the two prerequisites to following are this. Number one, You've got to deny yourself. And you Laodiceans need to understand, and I'm not pointing to you, I'm talking about Jesus telling us, me first and foremost. 
He says in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1, perilous times are going to come in those last days. Verse 2, here it is. Men shall be lovers of their own selves. We're all caught up with self. Jesus says if you're going to be a follower, the first prerequisite is this. You must deny yourself. And the second one is like unto it. And that is you must take up your cross and follow. And he says in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 4, characteristic in these Laodicean days that you and I live in, what it says is that men will be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. And listen, there's nothing pleasurable about a cross. But Jesus says if you're going to follow, you're going to have to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow. And so now listen. Now, that, that's, that's basically going to catch us up, okay? But now listen. Some of you are so anxious to get on with the book of Revelation. Let's get into the rest of this thing and be done with it. And yet, your life is not marked with the seal of departing from iniquity. You haven't denied yourself and taken up your cross. And listen, before you get so anxious to get through the book of Revelation, why don't you let the book of Revelation get through you? And why don't you just start saying, okay, God, I better get serious about this thing. Because the truth is, folks, when there's no visible evidence in your life, Jesus said, by their fruits, you shall know them. And he knows all that are his, and it's marked with, with that seal. So it, it's, we, we better wake up. There's visible evidence of their identification with the Lamb and His Father. But not only is there visible evidence, number two, there's also audible evidence of their connection with the Lamb and His Father. There's audible evidence of their connection with the Lamb and His Father. I mean, you look at this 144,000, listen... And not only can you see that they are marked by God as his personal possession, if you'll just, if you just listen to it, they're going to give you all the audible evidence that you need. Look, first of all, letter A at the song of the 144,000 servants of our God. Look at verse 2, the song. John says, And I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters and as the voice of a great thunder. Now, whose voice do you think that is, y'all? Huh? We, we saw this voice before. We heard this voice before. Back in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 15, John is caught up into heaven for the very first time, and he says, oh, he begins to describe all the things that he saw, and he said this in Revelation 1, 15, and his voice was as the sound of of many waters. He comes along in chapter 4 and verse 5 talking about what he saw around the throne again. And he says, And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. What John says is, Listen, I, there I was on, on Mount Zion. And all of a sudden, I heard this voice from heaven. And man, it sounded like a thousand Niagara Falls all at once. I don't know if John ever made it to Niagara Falls, but... Man, it sounded like a thousand... You've been to Niagara Falls? You cruise, you take the little boat there, wear the little hat and the raincoat, that old gig. You go in there, and you start moving closer into those falls, man. The person's right next to you, and you're going, Hey! I mean, you got to yell over this thing. And he says, Oh my. Oh, I heard this voice. I'd heard it before. It was the voice of many waters, and it just roared. It roared like thunder. And listen, when that 144,000 heard that voice, all of a sudden, something just started happening inside of them. They had to respond in some way. Here They hear that voice and they echo back with music and with song. Look at the music that was played by the 144,000. John says, And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. That should be 14 2B, not 26. Listen, the 144,000 hear the voice of the Lord. They know that voice, and it brings a response from their souls. First of all, they take out musical instruments that God gave to them. God gives to these, these special servants. He gives to them, them harps, and they take out those harps, and they begin to play the music. 
But not only are they playing the music with that harp, check it out. They're singing a song. Would you look at verse 3? And they sung, as it were, a new song before the throne and before the four beasts. Do you remember we saw them back in chapter 4, verses 6 and 7? The four beasts were at the four corners of, of the throne. They, they were the cherubim that, that stand right there close to the throne of God. And he says, they're singing this new song before the throne, before the four beasts who are around the throne. And it also says back in chapter 4, in verse 4, they talked about the 24 elders. That's the church. And we too are around the throne. And here is the 144,000. And we're all there. And here's the four beasts. And, and they're all there. And, and we start hearing them sing this song, this, this new song, this unprecedented song, this unheard of song I mean it, it's li listen to it and no man could learn that song but the hundred and forty and four thousand which were redeemed from the earth here's the voice of the Lord and it begins to to thunder as the voice of many waters the 144,000 hear that voice and they can't help it. They start taking those harps that were given to them, those stringed instruments, and they begin to play the music and they begin to sing a song. And as they're singing that song, here's all of us, here's the four beasts, and we're going. Check that out. And so here, here we go. We're going to, that sounds, that sounds great. And we're going to, we're going to seek to join the song and we can't do it no man can learn that song but the 144,000 you know what this is their song it, it ain't our song this is the song of their redemption and you know what nobody has ever been saved like the 144,000 to be saved remember we saw that back in chapter 7 Lord Jesus Christ is going to appear to them personally sanctification you know what Nobody has lived an impeccable life like the 144,000. You want to talk service? Nobody served God the way the 144,000 do. And listen, when we get there in eternity, you know what? The 144,000 going to hear that voice, and all of a sudden they're busting out. Here it goes. Beautiful music like you've never heard. And here comes the singing over the top, and all we'll do is just drop our mouths. Because our mouth can't sing that song. That song is their testimony. It's an incredible thing. You say, well, well, that's not fair. I mean, you got to check this out. Listen, if you're born again this morning, do you realize that there is also a song that the Lord Jesus Christ has given to us? There's music that when we get to heaven, look on your study sheet, listen, after we get there in the rapture, Back in chapter 5, you, don't, don't forget about this, guys. Don't forget about this, church. Back in chapter 5 and verse 8, what it says is all of a sudden there's going to be th this book that's going to appear and, and a search is going to be made throughout all of heaven and throughout all of the universe for who can open the book and nobody's going to be able to open the book until the Lamb bam, stands up. And when He does, it says, And when the Lamb had taken the book, the four beasts... And the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb. Look at what it says. Having every one of them harps. You know what? God's given us harps in heaven. And you know what? While we're doing our thing, 144,000 are going to be over here going, check that out. You know what? God's given to us a song. And listen, not only has He given us a the ability to make that kind of music in heaven. Do you realize that right now on this earth, the Lord Jesus Christ gives us the same exact privilege? He allows us to make music. And I'm not talking about with this trash. Listen, David said in Psalm 144 in verse 9, I will sing a new song unto thee, O God, upon an instrument of ten strings will I sing praise unto thee. And what I want you to see in a very practical application, guys, he says, on an instrument of ten strings will I sing. Does an instrument sing? Check this out. Our body, 
I don't know if you've ever thought about it like this, but our body is an instrument of ten strings that God has given us to play the music, to praise the Lamb. Check it out. You've got two eyes. You've got two ears. You've got two feet. You've got two hands. You've got one brain or mind. And you've got one mouth. And check it out. See if this is an isn't an instrument of ten strings to praise the Lord. Your two eyes, you know what that encompasses? What I see. Your ears, what I listen to. Your, your feet, where I go. Your hands, what I do. Your, your mind, what I think. Your mouth, what I say. Do you see this, folks? God has given to us our life. And everything that we are, everything that we do, every place that we go, everything that we think, everything that we say, what it is, is our life plays the music to praise God. Right here on this earth, we don't have to wait till we get harps, y'all. You know what? God gave you a harp and you live inside of that harp. It's an instrument of ten strings and you play the music. But now listen, not only do we get harps, and not only do we have harps now, right now on this earth, but you know what? We also have a song, a song that is sung by church-age saints, and when we get to heaven, what we see in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9. Now we get the harps back in chapter 5 and verse 8. Very next verse, here it comes. And they, that's the 24 elders, sang a new song. And he begins to, to say what we're going to sing. And you know what's going to happen while we're singing that song? 144,000 going to be going. Would you listen to the words of that? Wow. That's absolutely, that's absolutely incredible. You know what? In heaven, we sing a new song to God too. Because you know what? Our testimony is unique just like the 144,000 are unique. But not only do we sing a new song in heaven, but listen, because we have received the Lord Jesus Christ, do you realize that we sing a new song right now? David said in Psalm 40, verses 1 through 3, listen to it. He said, I waited patiently for the Lord, and He inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay. Do you remember when He did that, y'all? And he set my feet upon a rock. And according to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the rock is the Lord Jesus Christ. He set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. And he, he hath put a, a new song in my mouth. Even praise unto our God. Many shall see it in fear and shall trust in the Lord. You know what? If the Lord Jesus Christ has brought you up out of the horrible pit of your sin, He's put a new song in your mouth, and He wants you singing that song right now on the earth. Take your instrument of ten strings and play the music and open your mouth and sing the glory of God because He redeemed you. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 19 says, for those of us right now in the church age, it says, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. The Lord wants there to be a song in your heart. Some of you, bless your heart. Where is your song? Claim to be redeemed. And you come in here and you don't even open your mouth in here. He says, listen, there's a song that he puts into the heart. It's a new song, man. And we sing within our spirits in Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And you know what is so wild about this, this song that we sing? Now listen, in heaven... When we bust out that song, I'm telling you, everybody else that's there that's not a church-age saint, when we bust it out, they'll just, be, they'll just be checking it out, just blessed, just shaking their heads. Have you ever thought about that? Let's talk for just a second about those who can't learn our song, that new song that we sing. First of all, the angels. I want you to think about this, guys. Listen. Check this out. 
we're all going to be up in heaven. And you know how you do with, you remember young people and singles and old folks? Do you remember we'd be coming home on the bus? We did this in Russia for you, you men. You get on the bus and you're coming back and you just start singing song after song after song. You know what I'm talking about? And somebody says, hey, let's start singing this. And, you know, here it goes. Well, da -da -da -da, you know, I, I kind of think heaven's probably going to be somewhat like that. And so here we go. We're all up there and we're around the throne just busting it out. And one of the angels says, hey, y'all yeah, know holy, holy, holy? Yeah. Oh, yeah, we love that song. Yeah, we do that one. He said, well, let, let's bust out holy, holy, holy. Because we've been singing that since eternity past. We'd just like for y'all to join us a little bit. So here we go. Holy, holy, holy. And we're all just, oh, we're joining with, with them. Y'all know when I look into your holiness? Oh, yeah, let's do that. When I look in, oh, and do you guys know holy is your name? Oh, yeah, let's do that. I love you, Lord, with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind, all of my strength. And we're just, oh, man, we're just singing with the angels, and it's just, it's a kick. And then one of us pops up and says, oh, those are great. I'll, I'll tell you what, let's, let's sing what we sang down there this morning. Let, let's just pretend we got raptured out this afternoon. Okay? Yeah, let, let's sing what we were singing down there this morning. Let's sing Amazing Grace. And here we go. Amazing. And all of a sudden, we, we look around, and the angels are going. Because you know what? They've never been lost. You know what? They've never been blind. And oh, you know what? They don't have a clue about the joy that's in our heart when we say, I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. And when we stand and we sing, rejoice in the grace of God, here they are. Because they've never been a recipient of His grace. Because they never needed it. Here we are, and we love to sing those songs, man. Because, listen, the Bible says that we were entrenched. We were engulfed in, in this world system. We were entrapped in the kingdom of darkness. And he delivered us out of the kingdom of darkness. And he placed us into the kingdom of his dear son. And let me just tell you something. If that little transaction right there didn't put a song in your heart, you probably didn't get it. And so when we begin to sing, man, woo! Yeah, and we're busting it out in heaven, man. And everybody else is going. Wow, well, people can sing. I don't know what in the devil they're talking about. You know why? What in the devil? Yeah, that'll work. <laughs> and, and now listen. Some of you guys that are here today, you sing the words that we sing in this church. You can sing the words, but you don't know the song because the song's not in your heart. You've never been taken out of the kingdom of darkness, placed into Christ, sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is marked by departing from iniquity and sub submission of following the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. But now listen, you know what's so cool? You can learn that song this morning. You know what, if you'll just humble yourself like Frank said just a few minutes ago, and you'll just come to the Lord Jesus Christ recognizing there ain't Jack Diddley I can do. And I know whatever I do, I'm just going to mess up the plan because you had a plan that only you could carry out. And God became a man in the person of Jesus Christ, took our sin upon himself, died, was buried, rose again, so that all of us could be born into his family, taken out of the kingdom of darkness, and have a song in our heart. And you can learn that song today. But listen, the angels... They can't know that song. And something else, you know what? The Old Testament saints, they can't know that song. And listen, there were some incredible ones. Let's just bust it down real quick. Let's talk about my man Abraham for a second. You know what he's called in Scripture? <laughs> he's called the friend of God. Wow. And, he, and here's Joseph. Joseph was the most perfect type of Christ in the entire Bible. Busted out for us in Genesis 37 to 50. And here's Moses. And the Bible says in Exodus, Exodus 33, 11, Moses spoke to God face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend. And, and this one's kind of wild. Four times in the book of Ezekiel chapter 14, God takes three men, Noah, Daniel, 
and Job. And he takes these men and he holds them up as a unique example of righteousness. And he says, listen, I'm coming in judgment on that land. And I'm telling you, even if Noah and Daniel and Job themselves were there, I wouldn't spare it for them. I'd just spare those three. I wouldn't even spare their stinking families, God says. But how'd you like to be in that list? God says, there's some fellows right there. Noah, Daniel, Job, and then David, and of course he was the man after God's own heart. Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived. And John the Baptist, though he, though he shows up in the New Testament, all he ever knew before he got his head chopped off and placed on Herod's platter was an Old Testament economy. And you know what Jesus said about him? Listen, among them that are born of women, there hath none risen greater than John the Baptist. Now listen, that, that's all the Old Testament saints. But now listen, don't, don't, get, don't get tired on me, y'all. Listen, do you realize that if God would somehow have, have taken one of those guys that we just listed on there and he would have catapulted them ahead in the future and he says, now listen, fellas, here's what I want you to do. There's a church ahead in time up there uh, a few thousand years from now and there's this little town called New Philadelphia right in the heart of Tuscarawas County and there's going to be a bunch of folks that are going to gather there on a Sunday morning and now listen what I want you to do is I want you to go in there and I want you to just join their worship you realize in light of all of those incredible guys that we just talked about three-fourths of the songs we sing in here they couldn't sing do you understand that because do you realize not one of those guys Abraham, Joseph, Moses, Noah, Daniel, Job, David, Solomon, John the Baptist, do you understand? Never, not one day in their life were they ever in Christ. And when we start and we start joining our hearts together singing about the fact that we have been placed into the Lord Jesus Christ, you know what? They could sing holy, 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 but buddy, when we start singing about being in Christ, they'd have to just shut their mouth and just, just listen to the song that just pervades all throughout this worship center. When, it's, when we start talking about in Hebrews chapter 10, and we, uh, Sherry used to sing a song years ago when we did special music every now and again. She used to sing a song, Now I can go into the holy of holies. You know what? We'd sing that song in here, and they'd be all... <gasps> What? Who do you think you are? In Christ. That, that's, oh, we don't think we're anything, but you'll listen. <laughs> Through the blood of Jesus Christ, He's made a new and living way. You understand that? And listen, all those sacrifices you guys went through in the Old Testament, oh yeah, you did that because you had to, and that's what God wanted you to do, and that's great, but boy, do we feel sorry for you. Because you know what? Jesus came and he fulfilled all of those pictures. Do you, do you know that those were just a shadow of things to come? And he came and he fulfilled the picture. Did, did, you, did you understand that? Well, no, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, let me sing it to you. And we'd start singing. And they'd be like, yeah, I think y'all are nuts. Check that out, y'all. We've got, a, we've got a song that nobody else can sing. We've got a... We've got a song in here, the, the testimony of our God. You know what, my, my brother used to be, uh, when, when I was in high school, you know, we worked the, the drug stories and all of that. M music is a, an indication of, of what's, you know, what you listen to is an indication of what's going on inside of you. Back in those days in Miami, there was a radio station, WSHE, Miami. Uh, that's the dude's voice. It's, and then the music they played was all that, you know, all this stuff. And that was, you know, they, they bring it WSHE, Miami, just to kind of give you a little break in the action. And my brother was just, I mean, all the time with that music. And, you know, being in the ministry, blah, 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 I come back about 10 years later. He's having problems in his family and problems with his kids and all that. And I get in the car with him, and he's playing country music. And I'm like... What happened to WSHE, brother? And he said, you know what, man? These people are singing my song. These people tell my story. And you know what? That's what your song is. 
Your song is your story. We stood here a few minutes ago, and the first song we sang, This is my story. You know what that is? That's your song. That's your testimony. Now listen, angels can't sing our song. Old Testament saints can't sing our song. But you know what? There's another group of people who can't sing our song, and that's people who've never experienced what we've experienced. I wish I had just a little more time to break this out, but, but let me give you a few examples of what I'm talking about. Just right on, on the first thing here, missions trips. Missions trips. You know what? About six years ago, there was about 33 of us, I think it was, John, 33 of us responded to an invitation to go to Cebu City, Philippines to bring a, a team for discipleship. And do you remember that? We came back that, that first Sunday. And we, we, we brought some of the people up here. And, and, and they stood. And you know what they did? They sang a song. And with tears running down their face, they began to talk about, folks, I've never experienced anything quite like it. It was just incredible. And, and you know what all, all of us did? We, we sat and we listened to their words and... We could never know their song, though, could we? Until you got yourself on a plane, and then you made that trip yourself. And you know what, you know what happened? You, you came back, and then you stood up here, and you know what you did? You sang to this congregation. And you know what? When we stand and we sing songs like Raise Up an Army of God, and we say, Oh God, our glorious Maker, we marvel at your grace that you would use us in your plan delighting in your favor, rejoicing in your way. We gladly follow your command. You know what? Some of us sing words and some of us sing the song. Because we've been there. Dave and Jen just got back from a month in Russia. Some of us men took two weeks. And we, we this past summer, uh, over a hundred of us went to, to Russia. We came back singing that song. We tried to explain what went on to our brides, but you know what? They couldn't learn that song. You, you had to be there. Dave and Jen did a little more in two weeks. And you know what? They're coming back. And they, they got all kinds of stuff that they'd like to sing to this congregation. And we'll listen to them. And we'll be blessed as we listen to them sing. But we'll never sing that song until we get over there and, and we spend that time and, and we be used of God in that way. Next. Trials tribulations, and suffering. Listen, some of you guys have been through some of the most horrendous stuff. I can't even imagine everything that you've been through. I was just thinking this week about people like Jim and Linda Stemple who lost a, a child. You know what? I don't know that song. Mark and Robin Rose. You know what? God's been teaching them a song. Just got to... An incredible email from him just talking about what, what they're dealing with. You know what? God's teaching them a song right now. Judy Williams, and just like so many of you, just lost a husband. You know what? You've learned a song that other people just don't know how to sing. Uh, Bill and Judy Mathias have w w one precious little girl born into this world healthy as she could possibly be beautiful, sharp, intelligent child. Had another child born with Down syndrome. Again, a beautiful child, just not quite like the other. And then the, the other child that they had, on one Wednesday night, she's just kind of laying down over in the gym, didn't feel very good, and brought her into a place to where she just started having seizure after seizure after seizure, and just took this perfect child. And if you were to see her today, and then listen... If you were to know the story of Bill and Judy Matthias and the nights, the nights that they spend awake and the, all that they've got to go through day after day and night after night, you know what's happening? They're learning a song. And when we come into this room and, and we sing songs like, Oh Lord, You have been good. You have been faithful. You know what? I just got to tell you, I, in light of some of those people's story, I think I'm singing words. 
they know the song. Because in the, the night watches, David says, he comes and he gives me a song. A song in the night. And unless you go through some of those kind of difficulties, I caught you girls, okay, that's enough. Unless you go through some of those kind of pain in, in life, Leah Reynolds, Ken Burris, faced with cancer, unless you live with that every day, you don't know that song, but you know what? God meets you there, and He begins to teach you things that He doesn't teach other people. You sing a song that other people can't sing. And then next, intimacy with Christ. You know what? Some of you guys, you wake up at an ungodly hour because there's something that drives you to your face before God. You love to be in His presence. You know all about what David was talking about in Psalm 91 the secret place of the Almighty and you find yourself up under the shadow of His wings and when we come in here and we sing, I just want to be where you are, a lot of us are singing words. And other people who've been up under that secret place are singing a song that you can't know any other way other than being intimate with Him. I wonder if maybe some of these songs we sing, this isn't what Paul was talking about when he says, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs because sometimes we need to be taught because other people that know a song that we don't know and we listen to them sing that song and all of a sudden we're saying, whoa, I don't think I know that kind of intimacy. I don't think I know that kind of fellowship with God. I think I need to, I think I need to learn some things here. And so let me just ask you quickly as we conclude this morning. Number one, does my life play the music? And am I singing the song of the redeemed? Some of you need to be saved here this morning. Your life doesn't play the music. You, 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 maybe some of you, you claim to be saved, but there, there's this instrument of ten strings. That there's no music that's played. There's no song. There was, there's no evidence in your life that you truly are a child of God. And why not today? Number two, uh, other than the song of the redeemed, what song has the Lord taught me to sing? As I was going through that with the missions trips, the intimacy, the, the trials and tribulations and sufferings and persecutions, I'm asking you, can you sing any other song other than Amazing Grace? And it's a wonderful song, and man, it's a new song, and it's, it's great, but has the Lord taught you anything else that is particular and unique to you? Have you learned that song because He's taught you that? Number three, what specific song is the Lord in the process of teaching me to sing right now? Could you articulate that? Where does God have you? Where are you spiritually? What is He trying to do in your life? Can you articulate that? And I'm just telling you, if you can't, it's probably an indication that your sensors aren't right. He wants to teach you a song. What is He teaching you right now? And if you can't articulate that... Begin to cry out and say, God, what am I missing? What are you wanting to do in my life right now? And then number four, what song have I refused to allow the Lord to teach me to sing? Some of you know that the Lord just keeps bringing you back to the same thing over and over and over again. He's trying to teach you a song, and you're resisting. Why not today just say, oh, God. You've given me an instrument of ten spring, strings. I want to play the music. And I want my life to sing the song of the redeemed. I want to sing the songs of intimacy and fellowship with you. Let's stand together with our heads bowed. Lord, I do pray this morning that you would teach us to sing the song of the redeemed. Pray that the, the new song that you put in our mouth, that we would, we would sing it in praise, that our lives would play the music and and our voices would, would lift praise to You. I pray that for those that are here this morning that have never put their faith and trust in You and have never learned the new song of salvation, I pray that this would be the day 
And if you're here this morning with our heads still bowed, if you'd like to respond to what God is doing in your heart, if you'd like to know what it really means to be a child of God and be forgiven of your sin and be born into His family to have a relationship with Him, our pastors are going to be up on either side of the front of this room and we invite you today to come and learn the incredible song of the redeemed, the incredible song of salvation. And if God's working in your heart, oh, respond to His voice, just like the 144,000 responded to His voice. You respond today. And Lord, help all of us in response to the voice of Your Word today. Help all of us to sing the, the song that You're wanting to teach us. May our life provide the music. May we bless Your heart through our life. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.